you want these things, you really have to be willing to invest the time and effort, not just once, but on an ongoing basis. The good news is that the actions that help build relationships, they're just not hard or complicated. What's required is that you prioritize this. And by the way, if you're the leader, be the role model here in prioritizing the importance of spending time on relationships. That can make such a big difference. Welcome to Transformative Leadership Conversations. This special season is a team development masterclass, and my co-host is Peter Axelson, who is a 35-year team development expert whose methodology we're showcasing. This masterclass will help team leaders and members gain insights, tactics, and tools for building effective teams. And at the end of every episode, we offer an exercise that you can use with your own team. To access all these and more, download the podcast companion directly from the show notes or from my website at www.winniedasilva.com by clicking on the podcast tab. So today's episode is really the bedrock of Peter's team development methodology. It's the foundation of sound interpersonal relationships between team members. So to put this in short form, it's really all about the relationships. So this is what you can expect to learn today. First, we're going to spend some time looking at interpersonal relationships in the context of a team and the work that we do with teams. Then we're going to touch on where relationship problems typically end up showing up and how we can gain an understanding of the quality of relationships on a team. And then lastly, we'll share some of our tools and processes, client favorites, that we use to help teams further develop their relationships. So I find that team members, you know, they don't often think about how critically important it is to be both proactive and purposeful about cultivating sound interpersonal relationships within their team. And I think many of us intuitively know or have experienced firsthand that when there is even one bad relationship between two people on a team, that it really can severely impact the entire team's ability to be effective. I mean, it's a major distraction. And people start doing all kinds of crazy things to work around that dysfunctional relationship. And honestly, it's really a waste of time, not just for them, but the entire team. Peter, I'm sure that you have had experiences just like this, right? Yeah, for sure. I think that there are a few drivers behind the lack of attention on this topic. I don't think that people fully appreciate the importance of solid relationships to team effectiveness and good collaboration. I, you know, what I hear is people see this as the soft stuff. And so they don't prioritize that work. It's less important. Mm -hmm. Many other things are more important and those are what get the time and attention. Next, I think that there's a belief that work relationships will develop naturally over time and get to a place of good enough uh, without needing explicit investment. You know, to be fair, sometimes that happens, but more often than not, it doesn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. You know, when friction does develop, I think leaders don't hold people's feet to the fire. They don't push them to fix things. These things linger, in which case the cost to the team can really be huge. So just to be clear, I think this is important. The end game here is not a bunch of great relationships, right? right. I think they're a means to an end. The end game here is great collaboration and delivery on business objectives. But I think the key thing here is we believe that sound interpersonal relationships are key for effective collaboration. Yeah, I think that's a really important and interesting distinction to make between that end game being collaboration so that we can do great work together. So before we dive into the hows of this building block, let's talk for a few minutes about how interpersonal relationships work in the context of team development. 
So, Peter, could you start by providing a definition of what a quote unquote sound relationship is? Yeah, that's a good place to start. So I think that there are two pieces to this. I think the first one is we don't need to be best friends in order to have a sound working relationship, right? But you do need to know each other. What I say is people beyond the basics, beyond the resume. So having an appreciation for what someone's life is like outside of work, understanding their interests, their hobbies, their passions, understand their work objectives, where they see themselves in five years, what's their family situation, what are their hot buttons, what's their work style, preferred ways of communicating. These kinds of things. It doesn't take a great deal of effort to learn those kinds of things about people, and the benefits can be pretty big. Yeah, I would say it really does make a big difference in a relationship when people know just even a little bit more about the other person they're working with. And really making that effort to get to know someone better, it goes a long way. So the second thing is you really need a basic amount of trust in and respect for each other. While you definitely want to see other positive attributes in a relationship, these two, trust and respect, they are the absolute must-haves. Everything else, the little things that make relationships run well, they all can be sorted out. So in my experience, I have found that some clients think they can lead an effective team with dysfunctional relationships that don't include basic trust and respect. Now, sometimes there is an avoidance. Sometimes there's just a demand from their team leader. And they just are like, go figure it out. And unfortunately, this just doesn't work. No, you're right. Relationships are really common in teams and show up in lots of different ways. So let me talk a little bit about that. In some cases, the relationship issues are part of the presenting problem in our first conversation with a team leader, right? They're talking about it yep. openly. In some cases, it might get named in an exploratory conversation with the whole team, although it's usually not the case. In many cases, relationship issues first are talked about and when we're doing assessment interviews, you know, that's pretty common. I think sometimes they're really buried. The, the relationship problems are the undiscussables. No one wants to talk about them. No one wants to touch them. And we don't discover them until we actually start working with the team and get into the trenches with them a little bit. I want to be really clear here on one point we're talking about this. So friction in work relationships is a thousand percent normal. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking okay. about everyday, day-to-day -day friction, right? What we're talking about here are significant relationship and problems. Now, we want to determine really early on whether or not these things exist in the team. Because if there are strained relationships that are going to need some additional work, we want to know that early on so that we can oftentimes work on two tracks. We might be working with the people who are struggling in their relationship at the same time we're working with the full team. So we want to get it that early so we know where to start. That's right. So, Peter, I'm imagining that there are some people listening right now and they're thinking, this is me, <laughs> right? Either I'm one of those leaders, I'm right? dysfunctional. <laughs> right, that has a dysfunctional relationship on the team, or I'm one of those people in a dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. And maybe they realize it's more than friction, but they're not sure if it's badly damaged. So what can they do to even start to think about this? Yeah, I think that there are a few things that leaders can do. So here are a few ideas. The caveat here is, you know, there are a lot of variables and factors to consider. So I don't want to be too prescriptive here, but a, mm -hmm. a few thoughts. First, if the issues are not too big and you believe that the parties have the ability to sort things out, you might say to them, look, this is an important relationship. It's not working as well as it needs to be. You've got some work to do. Get to it, right? Go mm -hmm. do it and keep me posted. Let me know if you need some help from me or other people. On this one, I think it's really important that they know that support is going to be available, right? We're not just sending them off into the wilderness on their own. 
it's, it's going to be a kind of a challenging journey, but if they need help, you're willing to help them figure out how to get that. So that's one yeah. option. Another option that I've seen work really well is for the manager to sit down with the two people and kind of serve as a mediator. I've seen that work really well. And I've mm-hmm. also seen situations where the parties involved didn't want to be airing their dirty laundry with their boss in the room. So they wouldn't go mm-hmm. there. And I get that. Right. Mm-hmm. Another option, if you're working in an organization that has internal resources who might be able to serve as a mediator, sometimes that can work pretty well. Mm-hmm. But you know, any of these things, ask them to do work it on their own, work with a manager, work with an internal resource. These are all reasonable options. In some situations, none of these are going to be viable options for you. And in that case, some external help can make a big difference here. And so give Winnie a call. She can help you. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. So if you're the person in one of these dysfunctional relationships, this is what I would say. Step one, work on shifting your mindset, your internal narrative from whatever it is now to it's part of my job to keep this relationship in good working order. As a side note, Peter and I did a podcast episode on this earlier on in season one called The Stories We Tell Ourselves with Peter Axelson. Step two is figuring out what do I need to do and what do we need to do in order to get this relationship to a solid place or back on track? So, Peter, you talked about friction in relationships or relationships where there are major issues, but they can be worked through. So let's touch on how you know when a relationship can't be repaired. How do you know? Yeah. So many relationships can be prepared, but I've encountered a few over the years that were beyond fixing. And I think it depends on two things. And both of these things need to be pressure tested very explicitly with the two people. So I literally will sit down with each of the parties and Mm -hmm. ask them some very pointed questions and have a really frank conversation about this. So the first thing is the degree to which trust and respect is either gone or still exists. So I will say to the person, so if you were one of the troublemakers, Winnie, I would say to you, talk to me a little bit about, do you still trust Peter? Yes or no? Talk to me a little bit about that. Do you still respect him? Yes or no? And so I want to get a gauge to see how much of those two elements are left. The second thing is that I would say to you is, talk to me a little bit about your willingness to do some of the work that's needed to put this relationship back together. And if what I hear from you is, yeah, I get it. I'm willing to do some hard work. So sign me up. That's good, right? If a person says, I'm done, then that's a different story. So I want to understand how much trust is left, how much respect is left, and to what degree are the two parties willing to do some hard work. And that will drive where we go from there. Either we'll try to put the pieces back together or figure out a different path. Yeah, I think that really sums it up nicely. Like that's the filter that you use, whether or not it can be repaired. Look at trust and respect and look at how hard they want to work, right? So, Peter, it's kind of an extreme story, but it really illustrates this point really well. Could you tell your kind of hated CEO story? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this was in my, I think, second year of kind of in this business. So this was a great learning experience for me. So the new CEO, been in the role six months, called me up, wanted some help with the team. It was pretty clear that there were some challenges in the team, but I didn't really get the full story from my initial conversation with him. So met with the team. That conversation went pretty well. They seemed interested in trying to turn things around. Then I did some interviews with each person. What I heard pretty much from every person was, I don't trust him. I don't respect him. I don't like him. And I don't want to work with him. And I'm not really interested in trying to put the pieces back together. There's nothing gray about this. It was really black and white. So I went back to the CEO and I said, I want to tell you what I heard from your team. They don't trust you. They don't respect you. They don't like you. They don't want to work with you, right? So interestingly, he wasn't surprised, right? Mm-hmm. 
I think he was disappointed. He had hoped he was going to be able to turn this around, but it wasn't right. fixable. So I said to him, I think you really only have two options. Either you can resign or you can fire everybody on your team and then start over. He actually, I don't think, was too surprised with that either. I think he understand the hole that he had dug here. So um, we met with the board of directors the next week, and I kind of laid out my perspective on things, and the CEO talked about this. And this is one of those, again, there was nothing gray about this. The CEO is, uh, was gone a month later. So. Wow, that's incredible. That's a really interesting example. So even the CEO is not immune, right? That's right. When it comes to needing really sound interpersonal relationships on a team. Yeah. On this issue of interpersonal relationships, uh-huh. you know, I found it's pretty common that uh, the leader of the team is one of the people struggling with challenging relationship, right? It's not always yes. the members of the team. It could be between the team leader and absolutely. one of his or her direct reports, or it could be between peers. It can work in any way. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. I think also too often people think they can salvage these types of relationships that we're talking about right here, but sometimes it's just not possible. And in this situation, it was extreme, but in other situations, people just need to know when they need to pull the plug and just yeah. say, it's just not going to work, yeah. right? So when working with a team, we start out by conducting an assessment. So Peter just mentioned this in his story. This usually includes a one-hour, one-on-one interview, sometimes longer, with each of the team members. And one of the things we ask each person directly is about the quality of the relationships with each of the other members on the team. So what we're doing here is categorizing each of their relationships at a high level. And the question we ask is this, choose the category that best describes your relationship with this person. A, good, solid professional relationship. B, new or underdeveloped, it needs more time. Or C, there's some damage, strain or friction, not necessarily extreme, but repair work is needed. So we plug all that data into a matrix that shows for each person how their colleagues view their relationship. So, for example, if we were looking at Peter's row in the matrix and he's got a bunch of A's, that's a good sign, right? That says that others view their relationship with Peter as good and solid. But let's say a bunch of B's and C's show up for Peter. So, in other words, several people on the team think their relationship with Peter is new or underdeveloped or there's some repair work that's needed. This would then be a clear message that Peter has some work to do on his relationships. And as a side note, we don't share names when we report this data back to the team. This is actually a fascinating part of the work that we do. And this one Mm -hmm. table, it's a snapshot of the quality of the relationships in the team. It's a pretty powerful tool. So when we play the data back to the team, it usually results in a pretty rich conversation because, you know, most teams do not talk together about the quality of their relationships with one another, right? That's, that's right. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's one of those undiscussables, you know. Even if they talk about it in small groups or in pairs, they don't talk about it as a group. Anyway, this conversation of looking at this table, looking at each per giving people an opportunity to look at their row, reflect on the quality of their relationships, look at the snapshot for the whole team. This is oftentimes a significant inflection point in what the team is willing to talk about. And that's a really good thing because that can help them immensely going forward. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. And I also believe that one of the most valuable aspects of the work that we do with teams is to provide a significant shift in thinking about teams. So most teams and their leaders think about and focus primarily on getting the work done. And this is really important, of course, but they don't think about how we get the work done, which means going beyond transactional relationships with team members. So your relationship with the people you work with is really a big part of what enables you to do the work or not. (laughs) Yeah. A point we've made here already, but I want to 
kind of double down on. And that's this, that we believe that keeping your professional relationships in good working order is part of your job. And interestingly enough, most of the people that I encounter in organizations don't necessarily have that as an explicit conscious belief, right? That their relationships go sideways and they're not doing anything to try to fix them. And the cost can be pretty high. So as a leader, this is something that you can say to your team members who are having some difficulties in their relationship, right? If you have a damaged relationship and it's getting in the way of collaboration, it's critical to the business and you're not working to fix it, then you're not doing your job, period. That's right. You can have that conversation kind of with those folks. That's Keeping right. Your leaders need to model this, mm-hmm. right? And so if a leader has a challenging relationship or dysfunctional relationship in the team and that person's not doing anything to try to fix it, that sends a, an unfortunately powerful, pretty strong message to the other folks in the team about what should be done, right? So leaders need to model this and they should set that expectation with the other folks on their teams. That yep. We believe keeping your professional relationships in good working order is part of your job, period. Yep. Yep. Love that. And you've said that many times to clients and so have I. So we're going to shift gears now and get a bit into the hows of developing solid interpersonal relationships. Yeah. So this is, I think, the problem-solving part, of, as you might see it as the good stuff. That's right. So let me start with my definition of collaboration. So this is two or more people who have interdependent work. That is, they rely on each other, and they must work together to get something done. So pretty simple here. So the key thing here is interdependent work. So we believe that these two things, the quality of the relationship and the effectiveness of the collaboration, are very intimately interwoven in a couple of ways. Mm-hmm. So one is... If a relationship is either undeveloped or strained, the likelihood of effective collaboration is going to be lower. That's right. So some examples of that will include they're going to be distance, less time spent together, proactive engagement is going to be certainly less likely. People are going to have less patience with each other. Therefore, compromise may be harder. And therefore, you know, you may lower the bar in terms of quality of output and expectations because you just want to get the work done. So looking at this from the other direction, difficult or unsuccessful collaboration is a very common cause of friction and damage in relationships. So stress, frustration, fire drills, disappointments, blame, you know, the list just goes on. Yeah. So what we're saying here is that solid relationships are substantially dependent on effective collaboration and effective collaboration is substantially dependent on solid relationships. But there are other things that show up. So it's not quite that simple. For example, you know, one person gets promoted over another one. That's going to strain the relationship. The boss might be playing favorites. That could strain the relationship. It's not as simple as it's just about the quality of the collaboration, but it is a big part of this. So then the million-dollar question is this. Specifically, what can be done in a team to support solid relationships and effective collaboration? What can we do? And we're going to do a deep dive into the answer to that question in a minute. But before I go there, I'd like to add one more layer to this conversation and just talk about how the collaboration is happening. And the fact that the vast majority of collaboration these days requires that people work across multiple types of boundaries, or another way to think about boundaries or differences. For example, the idea of this, the team that had the bus in the ditch, Mm -hmm. this team had huge cross-boundary collaboration challenges, and they were really struggling. So Mm -hmm. the, the people on the team represented three different functions. They had three or four different hierarchical levels more than 10 different geographic locations, I think five different time zones, two different first languages, multiple different national cultures. And I think I've probably missed a few here, but you get the idea, right? All kinds of differences or boundaries that they had to work across. 
And scenarios like this these days are very, very common. Yeah. I mean, if two people are going to have a solid relationship and if they're going to be effective collaborators, they just have got to figure out how to work effectively with each other across those boundaries and all those boundaries that Peter mentioned, and I know there are more, that can really get in the way. That's a lot. So this is really, really, really hard work. And the challenges are often underestimated. It really does require being very proactive and deliberate with your effort, and most importantly, time. There just really are not any shortcuts to doing this kind of work and creating this kind of collaboration. Just a side note here, we talked earlier about some people will make the assumption that if I just give the relationship enough time, Mm -hmm. kind of things will get to good enough. And maybe if you're in the same function, your desks are across the aisle from each other, you're really similar, not a lot of differences, maybe you can get there. But if you interject all of those boundaries that we're talking about here, the likelihood of a solid relationship developing on its own is about zero. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And over the years, I've had the opportunity to observe hundreds of really good relationships and great collaboration and hundreds of horrible (laughs) relationships and lousy collaboration. And so I've asked lots of people about the why in both camps. So why were things working really well? What were you doing? And then the other side is, you know, why were things not working well? What was missing? And as a result of those conversations, I learned a ton about their views of best practices and their views of all the mistakes that they'd made along the way. Mm, Yeah. From these observations and conversations emerged a tool that I talk about now as enablers of cross-boundary collaboration. These are things that people can do to make cross-boundary collaboration easier and more effective. And this tool has turned out to be a client favorite. It's Mm -hmm. simple, it's practical, it's got huge ROI. And we use these tools in two different ways. And we're going to make this tool available to all of you. So in newer underdeveloped relationships, we use this to help people build and establish effective collaboration really quickly. And it can ramp up the speed of this really Mm -hmm. nicely. The other way we use it is to turn things around when relationships and collaborations have gone sideways. Yeah, I love this tool. And so do my clients. In fact, I literally just used it last week at an offsite with a CEO and his direct reports. So it's super useful and it has a lot of impact. So Peter has defined six enablers for cross-boundary collaboration between two people. And that's the tool he was just talking about. And as you'll see, they have a strong relationship component to them. So I'm going to describe the tool at a high level. And then Peter and I will talk about them in a more detailed level. And then we'll talk about how to use it. So let me give you the list. So there are six of them. Number one, know the person beyond the basics. Two, understand the person's context and world. Number three, review roles and points of interdependence. Four, make explicit what you need and expect of the other person. Five, make a few agreements for working together. And then six, establish a process for ongoing, timely, and honest feedback on your collaboration. So for each of these six enablers, Peter has identified a series of things to talk about, questions to ask other people, and things to do. All right, so I'm going to unpack each enabler a bit, but the discussion and activity guide that we're going to provide to you offers a lot more. So these are practical things that we do and practical things that you can do. So I'm going to cover the first three, then Winnie will talk about the next three. First one, get to know the other person beyond the basics, beyond the resume. So three ideas. One is there's this structured conversation we call seven questions. So it's really simple that two people 
agree on a set of seven meaty questions. You want these to be good. And then you each answer them for each other. So depending on the questions you ask, you can learn things about the other person that you never knew. So that's one thing you can do, structured conversation. Another possibility is unstructured social time together. So Mm -hmm. go have a drink, go have a coffee, go have lunch, go have a meal, get out of the office and just no agenda. Just go be with each other, come and share some good food. Mm -hmm. Another one. So we think about is shared experience. So not just a meal, but go do something together outside of work. Pick something to do that the two of you would enjoy. Go to the theater, go to a movie, go do a service project, go for a walk, go for a hike, go to a museum, something like that. But just the idea is have some kind of a shared experience that's not related to work. So structured conversations, unstructured social time, shared experience. These are all very simple ways of getting to know each other, learning new things about each other in ways that can be pretty powerful. Yeah. So just to jump in here, the exercise, Peter, that you mentioned at the top, the seven questions exercise, for everyone listening, that's the exercise we're going to offer at the end of this episode. And in addition to this document that captures the six enablers. So just wanted to mention that. Good. So first one's get to know the person beyond the basics. Second one is get to know the person's context and world. So one of the things I see this happen all the time is I will be working with a team and one of their colleagues will be at the far corner of the same floor or down a floor or up a floor or down the block, and they've never been to that person's world. So go pay them a visit, right? Go visit their universe, step into their shoes, be curious, get to know things there, right? Yeah. You know, another example is I've had clients who literally have gotten on a plane and gone to another continent for a couple of days simply to get to know that person's world. You could say, well, that's crazy. But that can build a foundation for a relationship that's going to pay huge dividends. So get to know the person's world. Pay them a visit. Step into their shoes. Be curious. Ask about their processes, how they do things, particularly in those situations where their work or their processes intersects with your work or your processes. Ask them about their business objectives. What are they trying to get done? What are their challenges? What's hard for them right now? Another thing I like to encourage people to ask about is, you can ask a question like this. So what's going on for you on a day-to-day basis behind the scenes that's mm-hmm. impacting you that might be impacting me that I'm never going to see unless you tell me about this? What's happening behind the scenes? So these are all different dimensions to understanding the person's world, understanding their context, mm-hmm. which knowledge of these things can really help you collaborate with that person more effectively. Yeah. And one of the metaphors, Peter, that actually you use that I really like that I use with my clients as well is this idea of a showroom and a warehouse. So the idea is that we all have a showroom and a warehouse, but most people only see the showroom, (laughs) right? The nice, neat, prettily placed products, right? Or how we do things or whatever. That's what we show to the world. But there's a warehouse behind every showroom, right? That's where the sausage gets made. Where the messes are, you know. Yeah, exactly. And it's really helpful for someone that you collaborate with pretty closely for them to understand not just the showroom, but also the warehouse, like how messy things are or how hard it can be to get to the point that you can show something in the showroom. So anyway, I think that it's really helpful to see it like that and for people to see both sides. Yeah. Yep. So enabler one is know the person. Enabler two is understand their world or their context. Three is review your respective roles and the points of interdependence in your work. So literally sitting down and working through in details, what is your role? How do you understand that? How do you define that? Talk about my role, how I think about that, how I define that. And then talk about the overlaps. Where do these bump into each other? 
Where is there friction today? Where might there be gaps that we need to address in our work or in our roles? These kinds of things. Another thing to talk about are people's objectives. What objectives? What are your goals? What are my goals? How do these things intersect? This is about role. It's about goals. It's about points of interdependence in the work. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is really good to point out here is part of this discussion can also be about what should we be working on together that we're not working together on now, right? right? You can very easily talk about this piece of the enablers and you really just end up focusing on what you currently do and where are those points of interdependence in the roles. But it's really also helpful to step back and think about, okay, what if we haven't thought of here? What haven't we thought of here? And then let's make sure that we're talking about that. And so it also could be a very strategic conversation as well. Yeah. If I could just put a point on that one. Yeah. That's one of those big questions that can be really helpful to grapple with, to sit down with a colleague and say, Mm -hmm. what are the things that you and I should be working on together now that we're not working on together now? That's right. I've seen some really great outcomes from that. Yeah. It can really be a different kind of conversation you probably haven't had before. Yeah. So Peter's talked about the first three. So know the person, understand the person's context and world, review roles and points of interdependence. So I'm going to take the next three. The next one, number four, is make explicit what you need and expect of the other person. So this is a big one. First of all, I think people disappoint each other all the time, sometimes without meaning to, because we haven't really been explicit about what we need. And without knowing about it. And without knowing about it. Exactly. (laughs) You know, I think we start out these relationships and we sort of assume how they should work. Or, you know, I worked with this other person like this before, and so it'll work just the same with this other person, right? And you don't really make it explicit what you really need and what you expect. So have that conversation. Again, I just don't think that happens very often. So on each of these enablers, you think about knowing the person, understanding their context roles. We make assumptions about the people, about their universe, about their work, about their roles, about their objectives all the time. And that's what gets us in trouble oftentimes, right? So really what we're talking about here, and this is actually a thread that gets pulled through a lot of the work we do with teams is to be explicit about all of these things, right? To get past assumptions and to be really clear and transparent and explicit about what you want, what you need, what you want to do, these kinds of things. Yep. Okay. So that is making explicit what you need and expect from the other person. Number five, make a few agreements for working together. Given everything that you've learned about that person, right? Who they are, what world they're in, roles, responsibilities, expectations, What should we do now? What should we formalize? What do we want to make sure we're doing on a regular basis? And agree to that up front. So that could include how we communicate, right? How do we exchange information on a regular basis? In what way should we be making decisions? What's that going to look like? How do we manage our timelines? You know, your timeline affects mine. Mine affects yours. So let's talk about that now. So it's really kind of mapping things out. What you want to do is you want to just make sure that you're doing those things and really thinking about how do we want to formalize some of this? Yeah, to be deliberate and proactive. If you think about this, so much of the way people often work with others is done on a reactive basis and done ad hoc, right? As opposed to That's being right. planned. And so what we're talking about here really is not to create a bureaucracy or not to create weighty processes, but to think about given what we've learned about each other, what lean practical, simple mechanisms could we put in place to help us work together most effectively, particularly in those areas where you might have had some bumps? Yep. So that's number five, make a few agreements for working together. 
Last one, number six, establish a process for ongoing, timely, and honest feedback on your collaboration. So if you've worked with Peter and me at all at any time, you know this is a very hot topic for us, feedback. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in episode 10. So asking for feedback. Get into the habit of asking for feedback on a regular basis. Make room for this. And making a habit is really important because if you have a habit, you don't have to think about it. (laughs) You don't have to wait for something catastrophic to happen in order to have a feedback conversation. And in fact, having a feedback conversation and making that a habit can usually reduce catastrophic events, right? right? Or catastrophic issues. I think that that's one of the most important habits two people can develop, especially if they're collaborating a lot together. Also, have a process. Peter was just talking about don't do things ad hoc. Don't do this ad hoc either. Time and urgent matters are always going to get in the way. So make sure feedback happens. Make room for it in your life and in your schedule. If Winnie and I had to collaborate a lot, rather than waiting for Winnie to come to me with feedback, or maybe at some point, maybe I might have some feedback for Winnie. And if I get around to it, I'll go have that conversation. What we're talking about here, what we talk about having a process is Winnie and I might say every eight weeks, we're going to sit down for 30 minutes and exchange feedback, right? Yep. Because what I found is if you wait for other people to bring you feedback, you're not going to get much. And I have two favorite questions that I would ask Winnie. I would say, Winnie, what am I doing that you're finding helpful? Mm-hmm. It's uh, helping our collaboration. You'd like me to continue and why? Mm-hmm. And what am I doing that's making you crazy, right? That's not working for you. That's causing problems that you'd like me to change. And the questions don't have to be any more complicated than that. That's right. I think what you'll find is that if you reach out to the people with whom you have to collaborate on a regular basis and ask them those kinds of questions, your self-awareness is going to go up. You're going to have better relationships and your job performance is going to be better. This is a big deal. And the more you do it, the easier it gets, (laughs) for sure. So let's get into how we use it. When working with a team that's struggling with friction in relationships and poor collaboration, we briefly explain the six that we've just described to you, and then we ask them for a reaction. Or I'll ask, which of these are you doing now? And what we often hear is, we don't do any of them. (laughs) Right. I've used this tool with teams who are brand new. I've used this teams that are struggling with relationships outside of their teams, and I've also used it with teams who are struggling with relationships inside their team. And I just want to say again how simple and useful this tool is. So we know that time is the most precious commodity in really all of our lives these days. And sound relationships and good collaboration, I mean, they just don't happen by chance. So if you want these things, you really have to be willing to invest the time and effort, not just once, but on an ongoing basis. The good news is that the actions that help build relationships, they're just not hard or complicated. What's required is that you prioritize this. And by the way, if you're the leader, be the role model here in prioritizing the importance of spending time on relationships. That can make such a big difference. Yeah, you're right. Just as a way to wrap up this episode, let me highlight three things to think about here. First is focus. Mm -hmm. For team leaders and members, if you want to build an effective team, you must invest in building solid interpersonal relationships as part of that work. They're the foundation for everything else. There are no shortcuts. This is what Winnie was just talking about. Mm-hmm. Second thing is goes back to the mindset that we've talked about earlier, that keeping your work relationships in good working order is part of your job. Mm-hmm. It should not be seen as optional. It should not be seen as a nice to have. We believe this should be baked into the performance expectations for every employee 
who must collaborate with others. If people were measured on this and rewarded on this, I think lots of things would change. Yeah. And then use this tool, try out this tool. Candid and forward-looking discussions with team colleagues based on these enablers. It's a very effective way of deepening relationships and improving collaboration at the same time. So give it a try. Yep. Now it's time for an exercise that you can try out with your own team. So this is the seven questions exercise that we've talked about earlier in this episode. And it's related to the first enabler, which is know the person. So I want to say that I actually use this exercise with a lot of different clients, but one client in particular comes to mind. And it was a bunch of airline engineers that had worked together for like over 25 years. And they went into this exercise a little bit skeptical, like really, you know, what are we going to get to know each other? (laughs) We already know each other pretty well. And they were really shocked to find out how much they did not know about each other. And not only that, but how much knowing each other helped in their collaboration, which is the key. So anyway, this is that exercise. So the objective here is really simple, to get to know your colleagues better beyond the basics. And the outline is this. You can use this either with a full team or just with two people. The steps are the same, but the time needed will differ between those two different scenarios. So to start, you'll want to explain to your team what you want to do and why. That's always a good thing to start with. And then together, choose the seven questions that each person will answer. We're going to give you a long list of our favorites that you can download. Then each person will take some time to prepare their answers. Afterwards, you'll get together and then share your answers. And then you're going to talk about your reactions and insights and what you've heard from everybody. So choosing the right questions is key to the ROI from this exercise. Make sure that you have some mix of personal and work-related questions as well. And you'll want to push the envelope on disclosure here. You'll have to find the space where everyone's comfortable between deep, dark secrets and cheap and superficial. There is a sweet spot there. Yeah. So for example, your favorite vacation or the favorite book you read, our view is wasted questions. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So let me tell you about my favorite question. My favorite question is this. Talk about a difficult event that you had to overcome during your childhood. That is my favorite question. And a lot of interesting things have come out of that one. Yeah, my favorite question is, tell us about your life growing up as a kid. Similar They're really kind of similar. It's about your life, right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. And really how you came to be who you are probably, yeah. right? What we hear from people on these questions over the years has just been incredible. So give this a try and see what you learn. Remember, to access all of these exercises and more, download the podcast companion directly from the show notes or from my website at www.winniedasilva.com by clicking on the podcast tab. Peter and I would love to hear about your experience and what resonated with you during today's episode. You can do that by emailing me at winnie at winifred.org, going to my website, or reaching out to me on LinkedIn. Next up, episode four, where Peter and I will talk about the importance of ensuring the team has clarity, and is aligned on the business goals and mandate of the team. The starting point is business objectives because there's so many other things downstream that are influenced by that. I guess fundamentally, if you think about this, our work with teams is really focused on enabling them to meet their business objectives because that's really the end game. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations. 
If you're ready to take your leadership to the next level or empower your teams for success, I'm here to help. Reach out to me directly or check out my website to learn more about my work in coaching executives, developing critical leadership skills, and working with clients to build effective teams. And your feedback matters. Please consider leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and sharing this episode with a friend who might benefit. Thanks again for listening.